Meet Your Maker makes professional-grade grinders, vacuum sealers, sausage stuffers, dehydrators, and just about everything else to turn your garage, deer camp, or kitchen into a meat processing haven. Meat only sells their processing tools direct to consumer, cutting out the retailer markup guaranteeing you the best price. Meat also has the only lifetime warranty in the industry, and Meat ships your tools direct to you for free. Visit MeetYourMaker.com and use code WAYPOINT for an exclusive discount. And get ready to Deer IY this fall. Hi, hunters. Thank you for tuning into the Flushman and Dustin podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler, the boys from Ring Next In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushman and Dustin. Hunters, welcome back to another Flushman and Dustin podcast. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Hunt Ready, reliable equipment driving inspiration in the outdoors. As passionate upland hunters, we need a good upland vest to help us through those long treks, carrying our gear for us and our dogs. So check out Hunt Ready if you get a chance. Uh, tonight, we have a guest from down in Texas. Is that correct, Scott? Yeah, Texas, Dallas area, I guess is the best way to label it. Awesome. So he is a, a poodle pointer owner. He also uh, does some service dog work and uh, is fresh in the uplands in the past three years. So we're excited to have him come on, talk about his experiences uh, and get to know him more. So Scott, if you can introduce yourself and take it from there. Yeah, uh, my name is Scott Stoner. Uh, it's not spelled the way it's pronounced, at least. Uh, I'm a substance use counselor, so there's a silent H in there. It's S-T-O-H-N-E-R, but my last name's Stoner, and I'm technically a drug counselor to pay the bills. Uh, and I started upland hunting, I guess, four years ago. I grew up always duck hunting and running labs when I was younger. When I got older and had a house to clean and stuff, I started looking at, uh, honestly, non-shedding labradoodles. Uh, and that's heresy to say in the poodle pointer world, but that's how I got started with them. And uh, it's kind of been a hit the ground running since I got my first versatile dog. So it's the first one I've trained, first one I've kind of been with, and I've already bred her once and have hunted extensively over her, I guess, her first three years of life. She's just now turned, turned three. She'll be four this year. What's your what's your take on her being a poodle pointer versus your labs? So you think I, about it? the differences, I well, guess. And, and I think, so I kept a male from her litter too, which is nothing like her or the stud I bred to. So I bred to a stud that I know fairly well and have hunted with him several times and lady who's pretty calm. Well, I used to always say a difference between a lab and a poodle pointer is a lab will run through a, a brick wall for you to hunt it. A poodle pointer is going to hunt around it, over it, to the side of it, left a hundred yards, but still hunt just as hard, just different. Uh, that's until I got my poodle pointer now, Santo, who's I think like seven months, eight months now. That dude has no fear. Like I know within the first year or two of his life, I'm going to be rushing to an emergency vet because he's just going to do something where he goes nuts in the field. So he runs a lot more like a lot. Like I don't, th- I think he'll run through the brick wall and hunt, but I used to think that was the biggest thing. And obviously, like I said, the, the hair, you know, a lab is like a Christmas tree with dying when it shakes. It's just like it springboards off and it was just like, oh man, there's an hour worth of vacuuming. Poodle pointers, it's a very light coat. Uh, it's different. And then they also add in the upland part even more, you know, with their pointing instinct. And their range, I think, is a little bit more than just your typical uh, flushing or pointing type lab that people hear about or talk about. Yeah. How far out does uh, do your poodle pointers hunt? 
I mean, it depends. So she'll, what I really like about Lady and Santos and Santo even more so probably now is they'll bust, you know, eight foot tall cover that I could barely walk through. I think there was tumbleweeds we were hunting in the panhandle where I fell down probably like four or five times. And I have this four month old puppy there and Lady who's, you know, about three busting through it, just working it. And that's not far at all. I mean, they're barely 50, 60 yards and I can't even see them to start with. Uh, now you get on the prairie, uh, like in Wyoming or South Dakota, where it's like those large rolling hills and she'll run. I mean, she will, she'll haul butt to the next side of the hill. She'll start working stuff into you. Actually, my first sage grouse, uh, I shot, she busted originally. She flew past him cause it was just like real quick flew right by him. Well, then she started looping back around. I thought she was just chasing and I was about to get onto her. Well, then she came back and looped the rest of them back into me and then pointed on the opposite side of those birds. And so when I started walking up to her, cause she went up point, I was like, she's pointing that old stupid scent. I'm about to just, it was about to be terrible. And then all of a sudden six more sage grouse just flew straight over my head. And that's how I got my first shot at it. So it's just, you know, she'll run out sometimes and she gets a little excited, but you know, for the most part, she stays in thick cover. She'll stay closer, thin cover two to three hundred ish yards. I mean, I've had her register five, six hundred whenever she gets on to like a lot of stuff, she'll just start hauling. I think the first time I took her out, you know, I guess that was just three years ago to South Dakota. Uh, I was nervous as my first versatile dog. I'm used to lab, you know, always healing. what What was that transition like? Well, you gotta be like way less nervous. Like, you know, your dog goes off 500 yards. You're just like, man, I'll whistle it back, tone it back. Good luck. Like it'll find its way back. And I didn't realize that. So like my first hunt, she did that. She got on scent. She wasn't even a year old. I literally dropped my hunting vest and I have like a, what's it called? Wingworks. And so it's a pain to like, take all that off, drop it, put my gun down and just started sprinting towards her with my GPS. Cause I was like, she's not coming back. I might lose this dog right here. Uh, so like getting used to that, I guess was like my biggest difference. Like trusting your dog is hunting and not that it's just farting around because that's the instinctual instincts bred in it. I think that's probably been the biggest thing and learning to read the dog a lot better. I think a lab conforms way easier than versatile dogs and my experience in training the few I have, uh, they're very, not, I don't want to say easy, but they go from point A to point B to point C as far as line drills, casting, stuff like that, where poodle pointers, you kind of have to let them to go to point A to D and then fill in the B and C form and help them learn the process that you want, how long to hold the point, how, if they're supposed to flush, if it, you know, if the bird goes down, if the bird's running, they got to be getting after it. So, you know, like when lady tested, she was steady to shut shot, fall and flush. Well, then I hunted her for a full season. You shoot a pheasant, it's barely wounded and you wait for your go walk over there and release your dog to it. That pheasant's hundred yards away running. So she kind of learned like, let's get after it. And she taught herself a lot of that stuff and will kind of change throughout the season. Cause I always start usually with prairie chickens or sage grouse in September and then kind of hunt, you know, the rest of the upland season until duck season starts here you know, which is around Thanksgiving ish or October, late October. And so I hunt all that uplands and then focus on ducks a lot down here. I do mostly just public duck hunting land down here when that season's going on. So you've ran her through hunt tests then you said? Yeah. So she's done the NAVDA. She did the natural ability test like five months and I was just nervous about her passing it. So I signed her up for like three and it started her really early. Cause I was like, Oh, I got to test this dog. I got to test this dog. She's going to be the best, best. And I ran her at five months and had to cancel the other two tests. And then uh, her second year is when COVID happened. So all the tests got canceled actually. So right when she turned three, I r- went up to Nebraska and ran her, uh, and she punctured her paw on the water entry and got a no prize for the duck search on the utility test for NAVDA. And so I hunted her that whole season, the re-ran her in Texas and she got a utility prize too for her second test, uh, which 
she wasn't steady. I hunted the crap out of her that season. So, I mean, she was breaking on birds when they would get shot and she was used to hunting. So I wasn't like upset yeah. about it. And she prized for a female. I think that's pretty good, especially your, your first. And so I was pretty happy with that. I didn't see a need to try to go to push for the prize one. And I really wanted to hunt her like this year. I'm not having a litter of puppies. I'm just hunting her. It's her she'll be four. I feel like it's gonna be her coming into her prime. Like I want to take advantage of that like a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'm not trying to get her trained for test at this moment. She's getting trained to go be a wild banshee in the field this year and hopefully get a lot of game harvested over her. So if you had to pick or choose, would you go back to a lab or would you stay with the poodle pointer? I'd stay with the poodle pointer. Yeah, that's not I mean, and our our my You didn't even hesitate you didn't even hesitate. No, I I love my lab. My last lab was Blanca. She actually just passed away like two years ago. So lady actually got to meet her. Um, I love labs. I mean, they are the, I love labs too. They have the best temperament. They're so sweet in the house. Um, I just like the versatility that I think poodle pointers add without having to do a ton of work. Cause I think you can get, you know, labs to point and flush really good. It just requires a lot of training where that pointing instinct comes real natural with poodle pointers. Once they start getting a hold of it. And once they, you see them walk up, you're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like, 50 yards holding point on prairie chickens like it'd be hard to do that with the lab now are they the best like i've seen setters outrun them in the field for poodle pointers but they kind of do it all and being a duck hunter i do mostly duck hunting throughout the well i used to say that now it's probably 50 50 upland and duck um but i got her pretty much just to be a duck dog like i i didn't plan on actually running much navda stuff with her because i do the uh the retriever series here stuff the hunt retriever series or hunt retriever hrc it's basically lab trials and so i'm the only poodle pointer guy that's or there's one other poodle pointer guy with me that runs these dogs against labs only pretty much here i mean she'll be the only hairy dog out of a lab bunch and so i still train a lot with lab guys still run her i mean she knows casting she knows sits on whistles she knows a lot of that stuff that versatile dogs necessarily don't excel in um, and i would say she's probably not as good at casting as a lab would be traditionally um, but you get her in an area where you know there's a down bird, I would trust her nose to find it over me trying to direct a lab and huge brush flooded cover of woods. Like she'll find it better with her tracking ability, I think is a big difference between them and labs too. And you can watch them. They start using their nose way more than their eyes. Uh, yeah. They mark stuff a lot differently than labs do. It's probably been my biggest thing to notice. How many how many different states have you taken her to since since getting her? Ooh. uh so sh- we've hunted texas new mexico colorado oklahoma kansas uh south dakota new jersey wyoming nice that's awesome i did last year i didn't do oklahoma i didn't do new mexico i did new jersey went and hunted at griffin Howe. uh they have like a it's basically like a high fence range for birds it's like amazing and they're like an old gun you manufacturer it is like done up to the T. I mean, it is like so fancy. I went and ran dogs for some of their guided trips up there and that was an experience. Uh, and so that was probably one of our fun hunts. And then the Wyoming hunt this year in September was one of our big out of state hunts. And then I always go for a week to tell South us, Dakota. Tell us a little bit about that. You don't have to give us your spot or anything, but tell us about your Wyoming yeah. connections. We're going there in September. Um, you know, we're curious about that. So what, you know, give us a little info on that. Yeah. And I think, I don't think I would have, picked to ever well i don't know if i would have picked will like will uh, willingly last year to go hunt sage grouse unless it was for uh one of my good friends is the the game warden out there uh for this you know whole region of wyoming and actually if you've seen the uh meat eater article of the game warden that wrote the ticket for the trespassing 
it's my buddy that did that and he did it while we were there we were, he was supposed to be hunting with us one day and he was like oh, i'm getting this complaint i gotta go tell these trespassers i can't do they want me to ride a ticket i'm not because they're just corn he's like i just got to go deal with it though so he left and then it gets like all plastered on the news he's like on all the videos i'm like is this you jake is that you over there man uh so if you um, random little tidbit there but i met him i guess when we were like 13 or 15 years old i'm 33 now so that was like 20 years ago god that's a long time uh over the internet but he used to be i mean he grew up in north dakota with another buddy of mine who we play computer games with uh, and he told me you know we don't know how much longer the sage grouse season will be get up here while i'm here and while it's available and so it's like well last year was my birthday and it was my uncle's 60th birthday and he kind of introduced me my first lab when i was a kid was my uncle he was the first person that ran hunting dogs around me so i was like we'll go up there for our birthday together his is the 26th mine's the 27th of september and so we loaded up uh drove through denver and then went up to wyoming and it was it's definitely different ground there you know it's really rocky you can hunt from mountains to meadows to rolling hills of sage within four miles and then you can sleep out there that's what i didn't realize is the blm land you can basically camp on which i'm gonna take advantage of that next year and just pitch a tent in a meadow probably and just hang out that's what we're doing so we're doing we're literally pulling out there we're not tenting it we're we're pulling an enclosed trailer and sleeping inside well i have like a a couple of guys we're going with are going to be tenting it but we are sleeping in our in the trailer we have we bought bought cots you never know it could be snowing when we're out there and well, if, and that's the thing, if it rains while you're out there, uh, it, it, those roads turn to mud real quick. Like even the game was like, no, no one goes down these when it's like this. So oh, if you get shit. stuck up there, you're just there. And some of the areas you want to get to, you know, what I learned about sage grouse is they love elevation change. You have to get up there. I, so I, I took a two wheel drive stock F-150. So I was able to manage it, but it didn't rain till the was last it dry? day. Yeah. The last day it rained and we left. Uh, cause even we were just like, no, well, at least we're not going gonna... downhill. <laughs> yeah. If you get stuck. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, it, it gets rocky. You know, anytime you're traversing like mountain ranges in a car, mine's definitely not made for it. I mean, I, my rear differential drug half the time. Oh, shit. Uh, and so I just went slow, but I mean, I was able to make it and it's like a 2013 F-150. It's nothing special. So are you saying, you probably want like a lifted truck to get through this you definitely something? want something that can get over some stuff because it's i mean we basically had to go rock crawling at one point oh sh- i mean you were on a trail i mean yeah i could show you on a map but you go through a trail and it's side by sides to go through it and sometimes they don't cut it all the way so you have to take your chainsaw take a chainsaw it's a big tip too <laughs> cut it through um but once you get to the spots you're hunting it's a lot more open it's just uh, you know how BLM or public land works. You can't cross it through this one half mile section that's from a road. You have to go eight miles through a mountain range, through meadows, through a valley, then get to that spot that's half a mile from the road yeah. uh, because it's private property. So there's some of that that happened, and that's why we got to where we were at. And it was a really bad drought for the part of Wyoming we were in last year. Like they sometimes see uh, sharp tail there. And even biologists like I haven't had any countable sharp tail here. And so we were really targeting a lot of water, anything that was holding water, we were trying to hit because that's where they were coming in and out of at some point in the day. Uh, and so to find that, I mean, there's not a ton of water. There is pocket water, but to get to it was kind of, I didn't, if I would have known it was going to be that hard, I probably wouldn't have gone to the spot we went to just cause like, I mean, I was having a panic attack like halfway through it, if I could you know, be honest. And then we got lost. So You're it was telling me I'm going to need to get my truck lifted like two inches, three inches. Well, at least have, you know, I got brand new, I had Toro tires. So I had like brand new tires that were decent. I had an air compressor. So I used that one time, but. I mean, if it's not raining, but if it, even if it's raining, you're not going up there. Like, even if you have the most lifted, mudded yeah, out truck. Concerned about the uh, hauling a trailer behind us. 
Because yeah. those don't have... I don't those know how much clearance those have. Yeah. Well, and then there's suspension if they're not made to be off-road trailers. There are... There's areas that aren't hard to get to that can get you pretty close to good hunting grounds that you could camp out. I mean, so there's how, some... Go ahead. How far did you... You're speaking of the camping grounds. How far did you... Would you have to walk from those camping grounds or how far did you have to walk after going through these areas that you're talking about to get to good ground? Well, see, that's what's cool about BLM and National Forest Land has roads that go all through it. So at the end of the day, if you're hunting certain areas, you know, I would do uh, like an old guy taught me what he calls high grading, which I don't know if that's actually a term, uh, but basically just looking for the highest grade of terrain that you can find. So water, sage, elevation change, cover, and then just targeting that. So just driving as close as you can get to that and then knowing, hey, that mile from this way, that's there. Let's see what we flush up between here and there and loop around back to the trucks. And if that's not there, we're going to go higher up because the sage grouse later on in the season keep pushing further and up the mountain ranges because they're getting pressure from down below. And so they just keep going further and further up. We literally killed some in mountain ranges. It wasn't in sagebrush. They were not near sagebrush. Uh, they could get to sagebrush. They were not sitting in it probably because they had had pressure for the whole week prior. There's not a ton of people that hunt uh sage grouse there either which was kind of nice everyone's there for antelope so you'll see a bunch of people on side by sides just chasing antelope all day um, but you can take a side by side you take a four-wheeler and you can go all over the area that's what's kind of nice about it too is you don't necessarily have to hike a ton to get to good land you can get to it by driving and then hanging out that's probably what i would do this next time because we actually stayed in a town and drove out every day and it would take you know sometimes you'd be driving an hour and a half up a trail to get to a spot to go walk five miles stuff like that yeah yeah i think it, it would be kind of nice staying out there in the in the tent being out there in the wilderness overnight and being close to hopefully where we're going is going to be a, a prime location <laughs> and not just like a we can we can make it there yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah the on x is very helpful during it i mean i don't think i would have done it without that and then i also yeah. like learned what's considered a road and what's considered a trail you know simple things like <laughs> that that i didn't know until i got out there yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was, def I would definitely probably, you know, this next year I'm getting a satellite messenger just in case, just to be safe yes. because it can, so we get... have, yeah, we have several guys that have, uh, well, Tyler's actually getting one. Yeah. The 200 uh, I. Uh, so he'll have a satellite messenger on that. Yeah, no, I would definitely, uh, consider that, but well, and y'all have more people, just me and my uncle one day. So it's like one car, two people, something goes wrong. We're mm -hmm. six miles from something. So. Uh, yeah, more sure. people i wouldn't worry too much about it it's it, it's it's the hardest style of hunting i've done compared to like south dakota as far as terrain but getting there wasn't as hard as some of the stuff in south dakota because you can't drive over it so you have to hike in you know all day and spend all day out there bringing all your water plan to be near water to air the dogs out a little bit when you're you know hunting bring a lunch stuff like that you don't have to really do that there because you can't actually get... why we got the hunt ready vests that's yeah. part of the reason yeah, no, that's old, why I have uh, that. Yeah, yeah, I have that Wingworks one, which is they're, they're very similar. I think I haven't had a. I actually have seen a Hunt Ready, but they came out after that. Uh, yeah, they hold so much water. We got uh, three. We got well, two water bottles that we use for the dogs that are both thirty-two ounces, and then mm -hmm. the and one for ourselves. Yeah, we could put a bladder in it too. So we'll we'll have uh, well plenty of water. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, well you won't have to worry. That's what I'm saying. You don't have to worry about it this much at one of these hunts compared to like parts of South Dakota where, you know, there's not a road for eight miles and you can't bring a car. You can't have a little base camp. You have to just, you know, make a big loop. Uh, yep. And so I think that's probably a big difference. So it's harder hunting, but it's not because you're closer to vehicles or camp, I guess. 
So it's not as much of a beating, I guess. You get a little yeah, break in between. Like how many how many miles do you think you're putting in a day? Uh, so the lady, she did terrible the second and third day I was there. The first day she was running really well, and I didn't really condition her pads to rocks. And so she sliced open like two of them real quick. So I'd also say find a lot of sharp rocks to run on and get their dog pads really conditioned because we were just coming off summer here in Texas, basically. And it's like you run in the mornings for 30 minutes and then you're heated out for the day. And yeah. so her paws were kind of lacking, but I think the first day she put in, I want to say like 19, 22 miles. And I probably did like 11. And then the second day we all kind of tapered off that. I would probably say the second day was our slowest. I think I did five to eight. And then the third day we had more dogs come out. And, uh, I think we all walked at least 15 miles. Wow. Have you ever wanted to process your own wild game from start to finish? Meet Your Maker has you covered. Meat makes professional-grade grinders, vacuum sealers, sausage stuffers, dehydrators, and just about everything else to turn your garage, deer camp, or kitchen into a meat processing haven. Meat only sells their processing tools direct to consumer, cutting out the retailer markup, guaranteeing you the best price. Meat also has the only lifetime warranty in the industry. And Meet ships your tools direct to you for free. Visit MeetYourMaker.com and use code WAYPOINT for an exclusive discount. And get ready to deer IY this fall. She has definitely put in the time. <laughs> it's a lot of walk. I mean, it's it's a is lot it of... easy. Like, how is the, is it easier walking? I mean, is is it thick? Uh, There's probably not like thick cover, but it's probably so it's not loose very terrain? cover. Yeah, it's not a lot of cover. It's loose terrain, so that makes it, I think, easier to walk in because it's mostly just like gravel. You're walking. It's not. It's it's higher elevation, so you run out of air pretty quick. You know, it's north uh, of Colorado and it's yeah. in the mountain ranges to an extent, so you do get tired in that manner to an extent, but it's not, you know, it's a lot better than falling into badger holes on the side of a mountain. I don't, I wasn't too afraid of like breaking an ankle. Like I was in the Dakotas when I'm hunting up there for grouse. So I would say it's different in that. And there's, there's plenty of trails, game trails. I mean, you'll see tons of antelope. You'll probably see some moose. Uh, I didn't see any bears, but I've heard I'd like a lot to see of some moose. bears. Yeah. There's, go to, uh, go to some of the main towns around there, like hang out. That was, what's kind of cool. All the towns are like deer hanging out. It was, it was kind of neat. Oh, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Huh. So out of all these states that you've done in the past three years, do you have a favorite state that you've hunted? And on top of that, do you have a favorite bird that you've got to hunt? I really, I mean, it's, I don't, I really like pheasant, you know, I think they're not kind of the typical upland bird that people try to go after to an extent. Cause they're kind of a, a dirty hunt, you know, get ready to get on your running shoes type stuff, get ready to track them, get ready for them to move and not just sit pretty like a little Bob white covey, uh, or even a chicken covey to that manner. So I think I like the game that pheasants create, especially when it's only like you and a dog or two and it's not, you know, walking lines, it's your dog, one other dog, pinning them down, chasing them. Like I, I enjoy that cat and mouse game, I think, the most. Uh, but I don't, I mean. They're smart. They're yeah. smart birds. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I've, Man, I've tucked them. I mean, like, there's no way that pheasant ran. It was dead in his tracks. So then you get up there like, where'd this thing go? I mean, like, just no, no, you can't find it. I mean, it's gone. And, like, you'll see, you know, I could tell when Lady starts getting birdie or about to go on point, and she's pushing one. And I'll get up there, and all of a sudden, it jukes both of us and goes in between us. And I'm like, I didn't even see that. You know, yeah. we go back and work it, and it flushes. I mean, they're just, it's a cat and mouse game, which I like the most. You know, a lot of the other game I think I've hunted, you can kind of, you know, you see a pheasant go down, you go try to shoot it and find it. Good luck. 
Like, yeah. I don't think I've ever watched a pheasant flush that didn't get shot or fly in and then just be like, let's go get that one. Do, do, do. Walk up and go get it. You know, it's it's always like you got to get hurt. You got to hurry. You got to be there. You got to be where they're flying to where chickens and sharp tail and stuff. A lot of times, you know, I've had some beautiful points over those. I mean, coming up on a hillside and the, the, the birds on the other hill, lady goes on point on this side just because she's hitting the, the scent cone right. I walk over the hill, it flushes. Like, those are great to watch and pretty and stuff, but they're not the game, you know, and the, the game of like chasing, I think that adrenaline kind of gets me going. And I like that. It's also kind of like why I like duck hunting, you know, calling in ducks, getting them to turn around, having the right decoy spread, just putting more into it than like, let's have this pretty little hunt, go behind our dog pointing and hold your gun up, you know, flush it. Like, no, it's, it's like, let's, yeah, that's not, that's not true. That's not real life. <laughs> no, yeah. no. And, and I've heard, you know, I, I, I've done that with Bob whites that are wild to an extent they're, they hold for everything. Yeah. Uh, but like scaled quail, I, you know, they run a lot. I've shot a few of those before and those were, those are okay. They're just, you know, they're a smaller bird and I don't know. There's something about a big pheasant. I don't know. A pheasant flush is hard to beat too. It's like someone asked me if you prefer like a pheasant flushing or like a mallard decoying right in front of you. I, I would say it's probably a pretty big toss up because that, be you know, close. just the wings and it's exciting. And I love that part of it, especially if you kind of know they're going to be there and you, you know, you walked hundreds of yards to get there. You're dead tired. Yeah, I love that part of it. I think you know you're talking about a, a pheasant and shooting one, and then going over there and not knowing if it's there, and having your dog get on it. Tyler and I, when we were out in South Dakota, oh, I don't know, three years ago, four years three ago, years. whatever, whatever it was, um, rooster got up between we have we had three dogs between all three dogs got up right in the middle of all of them. Him and I both turn and shoot, and just think we, oh, we stood in that area. I'm not even shitting you for probably 45 minutes. And you think we could find that bird? Our dogs were everywhere. Couldn't get a scent cone. Nothing. Uh, did uh, not. Did not get the bird. It just I was just flabbergasted. Like yeah. I mean, it was literally maybe 20 yards between both of us, yeah. and we both shot. And I was like, "Oh, dude, that bird is done." And you even brought up that nothing. good point earlier about you know it's it's pretty for hunt test to have a steady to flush and shot dog. But man, in real hunting scenarios, it doesn't work. I mean, I mean, it can work. But it can, it can but right? But you have you need a to have you need a retriever a flusher. Yeah, you'd have to have the pointer and the retriever and flusher. Like you kind of have to have it all. I think. Yeah. You know, if the pointer stays yes. steady, well, then you need your retriever to get after it or your flusher to get yep. after it. Yeah. And if you, I hunt with, you know, I only own two dogs. You know, I'll train some other dogs for like a day camp style situation, but. I only own two dogs and Santo hasn't hunted. I mean, he's hunted, but it's just been going out there. So he'll be a year old in June. And so this will be his first season to really get some good experience. And so that's, you know, and a lot of times I go by myself. Uh, yeah. I do, I've hunted with groups and stuff, but we had that similar thing happen to us in Kansas. I shot only shot once. Cause I knew it was dead. I, was like, I just nailed that domed him, fell down. We had probably like six guys walk in a field. The bird ran in us. We saw it jump up. And one of the guys about, she was like, no, don't you know on the ground? There's dogs all around. So he didn't. We saw it jump twice and we were like surrounded it. We knew it. Never found it. Gone. Just and we sat there. I mean, and everyone was just looking at each other like, what the heck? One of the dogs was like repointed it and then it flushed and couldn't fly because it was injured enough and then dropped back down and still we couldn't gone. Like just no it, it was unbelievable. I mean, and I just couldn't believe it. And that was in Kansas this year. That had, I mean, and I have a buddy that can vouch that up. That's like, so yeah. frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was one of those things because I was, you know, a wild rooster well, late season like, on public like, land. You're yelling at your dog. You're like, what? come on, what are you doing? It's here. Well, Where's I didn't even that? have Lady out that time, so I couldn't even yell at her. That's Santo right. is out, though. So Santo cheesed it up. That was his time to shine right there, and he didn't, he didn't do it. I'd put her up because she had ran a lot. What is it? You mentioned this is – 
your second. So you have two poodle pointers now uh-huh. transition from the lab. What's been the biggest. If oh, Let me ask you this. Have, did you train your labs yourself? I did. You did. And, uh, then, you, and then you have you trained your poodle pointers yourself as well? I have, but it's also been a big, that's been a big learning curve because back when yeah. I started training labs, it was like before the internet, right? It was like we had libraries and I went and bought CDs and watched like videos on a VHS or DVD player, watch some old guy, you know, tie rope to his lab, retrieve it. No positive reinforcement besides good dog and pet it max. Maybe that's it. Nothing kind of nuanced about it. It was very, this is how you do it. This is what we do. And, and that's how I learned with labs. And I had some pretty good labs, but they just didn't. I never, I wasn't a good trainer. Like I'm not a good trainer now. I won't say that, but I was, I definitely knew even way less than I did back then. Uh, and so I think that played a big role in it. I think I could have probably trained labs to do a little bit more, but my first lab was also a service dog for me. And so she was actually the first service dog I trained or not my first lab, but one of my first labs was a service dog I trained. And so that was kind of where I started with that. And so that's why I really liked their temperament for, um, was that type of stuff. And they can be great hunters. I mean, she was, she was plenty well versed in hunting yeah no i think i think most dogs can be great hunters um it just depends on the style you want right right you can't look at you can't look at you can't look at a lab and say well that setter is better well that setter does different things right lab does different things so you can't say that one is necessarily better than the other it's just what you prefer yeah yeah no and i think if i wasn't if i didn't want to get in the upland stuff and all that and i didn't care about the hair too much i'd probably still have a lab at the end of the day i mean because i for duck hunting they're hard to beat i mean that's why they win those super retriever series that's why they're top of the hrc chain Uh, that's why they have all those titles is because they are phenomenal retrievers Um, but yeah i think a lot of people get I don't know if it's their feelings or get pride about their breed of dogs being like, oh, that's the best thing ever was for everybody. It's like, ah, I mean, I don't know. It's probably not great for a couch potato to have a poodle pointer. It's probably not great for a guy that only duck hunts just to have a versatile dog. You probably should get a retreat. You know, like if you're only upland hunting, you probably shouldn't have a versatile dog. You should probably look at setters to throw on your line. You know, like I think there yeah. are uh, nuances to every breed to an extent. Crap. I mean, I've hunted, I've seen like a little bitty dachshund hunt. That thing was cool uh he called it like a tickle or tickle or something like that it was his name i forgot his name but it was up in new jersey he hunted with a wired hair vishla and a little bitty miniature dog i mean it was tiny he called it like a rabbit dachshund or something it was itty bitty. oh i think tickle yeah there's a guy uh tyler slayton quail hawk on facebook he oh yeah a- that's tyler I, so he was in wyoming with me oh really so i hunted wyoming with yeah me and him went up there together he's a cool dude he, he used to hunt dogs since he hunts yeah yeah yak yak terriers yeah, now yeah that's what it is yeah ma's uh mouse mouse cut cuddled with me and lady in my bed uh the night that he stayed with us so yeah oh, his dogs nice. those little dogs are cool and his setters are phenomenal to watch i mean if you ever get a chance to watch some of his setters in the field it's it, it will make you think like oh, what this dog's considered an upland dog here look at these things uh they are really kind of something else i told him i was like curious could come home with me today you want uh, tried to talk my wife into let me get one she's like no we do not need more dogs right now how many dogs do you have just two just well we have three we have a miniature pincher that's a rescue from when we were in college uh so we have three but yeah no that's only two hunting dogs i'm gonna like i said i'm gonna breed lady not this year but next i'm gonna keep a female from that so then i'll have three uh and that's probably the line i'm gonna keep i've thought about adding a setter to my line or something with some range i like setters versus pointers i've hunted with both but i think i would add a setter if anything next because i already have the retriever i have you know a closer working dog i would like to have something that just gets after it and yeah. what was this. so great about the setter that you like just how it worked the just range how it works i mean it it was way less 
not almost say needy, but it didn't come back and check on you. That thing was, I mean, and it would hold up points far away. I mean, you would be looking and you couldn't even see them. And you walk on the other side of the ridge and they're down in the goalie, the valley way over there, holding a point, just like phenomenal. Uh, and the way they move, their size is great too. His are tiny. I mean, Kira's smaller than Lady, and I thought Lady was a smaller dog. She's like under 40 pounds. I mean, they're super calm. The dog rode in my front seat after we pit it in a field so I could go back and get trucks. It's like the calmest dog I've ever had in my car. I mean, just the off switch was like right then and there, and you let her out of the car, and it's like you won't see her for 20 minutes until she's on point. And that's what I kind of liked about them, where poodle pointers, or at least mine, will come back and check in, which I kind of like that because that means I know they're hunting right around me and I'm not having to cover a lot because, you know, like I said, if it's just one guy – and I have a dog that's flushing or pushing stuff 600 yards away. It's going to be hard for me to get up there anyways. And Tyler hunts with that uh, ghost hawk a lot, uh, hash brown. And so he has, you know, a little bit more range than a shotgun, I think. And so he's, he, but yeah, they're fun to watch work a big field like that. And they're made, you know, at the same time, they're not made to go in the high cover that pheasants are hanging out in, in Kansas and Texas. Like they're more of those prairie uh, chicken, prairie chicken, sharp tail, uh, sage grouse dogs where those they they dominate the the hills the the prairies you know my uh, sister has a gordon setter and he is not trained by any means but when we take that dog is phenomenal when you're hunting grass that's as tall as your shins knees mm-hmm. like and you can see him yeah. second you put that dog in anything waist high or something where you can't see him yeah he's down and i don't think we and i he's down he can't find you you can't find him and then literally you got to go back and get four wheelers and drive (laughs) around and find him and that's what we've had to do several times (laughs) and so not saying that that's every setter because obviously i know there's her dog isn't trained at all for this we just we tried it with him and he's he sucks yeah, but, I don't uh, think he runs his on thick cover. I and mean, Tyler was one of those ones that I think told me early on, like, you know, everyone's dog's perfect for that person type thing. Uh, you know, that's yeah, what Yeah, you, you know, and we'll say a lot on here, you know, we get a lot of, you know, labs aren't good or they're great or you know, either way, this and that. And I always say, you know, the best dog you'll ever have is the dog that does what you want it to do. Right. And that's that's true for everybody. Yeah. And I think that's where the versatile dog kind of – brought me in a lot because i mean it took my hunting just from you know duck hunting to like everything now i mean and it opened up that world too which i guess i could have done with my lab i just one didn't know about it and two it was just you know it's harder to just walk a field with one lab and expect a ton of success i would say but i've never tried it so you might be able to do that but i do know having that natural pointing instinct and then having to test her through the navda stuff helped me learn about upland way more than I mean, I didn't know anything. Literally, my first hunt, I took people to South Dakota with. It was me and three other guys that had never done a wild bird hunt. We're like, let's go. Uh, and I just did it. So it was kind of, you know, let's try it out. And I fell in love with it. So I think that's what she introduced me to that. So that's why I think I like her you probably. Know, speaking, of, speaking of dogs, like, you know, who thinks her dog is great? Uh, I know a guy around here who has a, a pheasant farm. And he posted a picture the other day. What kind of dog do you think this guy was hunting? I'll give you just take a guess. Oh, yeah, that one. Uh, he owns Dober, a pheasant Dober, farm? Yeah, yeah, so he had somebody showed up and hunted, and it was the first oh. he's ever seen. And he sent me a picture, and I used to guide for him with my lab, and he sent me this, and I was like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> Did he really hunt with this thing? What was it? Uh, Doberman Pincher. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. No joke. I'll, I can send you the picture, but I was like, I have to see that. There's a. Huh? really hunting with this and he, he did and he had birds on the on 
I don't know if it was his tailgate or what it was. I can't remember, but he had, he had birds and, you know, obviously it's a farm, so there's birds out there, but still for you to have a Doberman pincher (laughs) (laughs) hunting these dogs, it's wild, right? Yeah. There's this guy that runs a, a, uh, English bulldog for duck hunting down here. He posts on all the Facebook groups. Yeah. Dog runs, swims, has a little life jacket, retrieves, comes back. Things an animal. Like it, it it loves it too. It's the weirdest. My brother has English bulldogs too. So I'm like, I don't know how that dog. I thought they were like the laziest dog. Oh, they are. They are. They're Uh, they're like the little ones, right? They're like, no, that's a French, French bulldog. English ones are bigger. So I I think it's English. It might be like a mix or I think it's either English or like a short American bulldog, but it's definitely like, you see it. You're like, that's a bulldog. And he has a little vest. He takes it hunting. He posts like on, uh, You know, there's a bunch of duck groups on the Facebook and stuff for North Texas, and he posts all the time. It's retrievers. I'm just like, what the, like, how are you not afraid of that dog sinking at the end of the day? It doesn't <laughs> have the mass to float, but no, that's, I think, and I think that's really, you know, I think at the end of the day, people could train dogs to do kind of whatever. And that's where, you know, I was even looking at pointing labs when I was looking at these dogs, uh, because I really wanted to add the upland house stuff. Like I love traveling. I love being outdoors. I love sitting, you know, in the middle of nowhere and finding it out on my own. And so I think with reason I went with poodle pointers is because they have, you know, just that natural instinct of pointing bread into them for so many generations where pointing labs, you know, they're still fairly like there's not 10 generations back of pointing labs per se. And so I think that genetic might not be as strong. It would have been harder for me to train. And so I kind of went with the poodle pointer because I thought it'd be easier to train as well, which, you know, there's different things that are easier and harder to train on them. uh, I would say than labs, it's just different. Yeah, no doubt. Everything's going to be a little bit different. Um, on dogs obedience pretty much the same um for the most part which one's that oh this is lady she just always comes in she thinks this office is hers um so yeah into the house yeah she is so did you think the like the pressure uh for a lab compared to a poodle pointer is different like the amount of pressure you can give they people say that um I haven't experienced that. Lady is a pretty high pain tolerance dog. Now, I will say that their pressure at the wrong time for a poodle pointer will ruin them a lot more than it does a lab. Labs, I think, fight through a lot more. Poodle pointers are more responsive, can take it, but more responsive to a certain pressure, if that makes sense. Like they might be on something and like, you know, ladder drills with pressure were really hard. I mean, I was like pulling teeth, trying to get that to where lab, I never really had much of an, it was like easy to do that with labs. So the way that they could take pressure while they're out, I think was a little bit different. Um, But then again, like I've also heard, you know, like most of the guys that run their poodle pointers, like, oh, I get that e-collar at a one or two and they act like I'm killing it. I'm like, lady runs at like a five or a six, Santos at like a six. (laughs) Like I don't have that. And that might be because I train them like labs, you know, that's kind of my background is training those dogs. So maybe I'm just a heavier type thing, but I don't, I mean, I don't think Santos even had a e-collar on him, but once and lady, uh, I pretty much trained her without one. I try to, I don't use a lot of pressure, so they're not force fetch. She's hold conditioned and stuff like that. And I was able to steady her up and get her retrieved a hand fine with just that. And so I didn't even do the traditional ear pinch or toe pinch or stuff like that. I just did hold conditioning with them or I haven't with Santos. Uh, my, my lab, he, uh, I didn't train him to, I didn't do the force fetch with him, but the guy that I had to do it, apparently he was a monster. Yeah. <laughs> like they tried to do an ear pinch and he came unglued and tried like attacking him. And then they tried doing the toe pinch and then he tried attacking him too. 
So they said they just backed up and just used a shot collar, and then he finally just like gave into the pressure. And yeah. Diesel's not an aggressive dog at all. He's Tyler will tell you. He's he's fucking he's he's just calm. I think it has to do with their temperament, um, their demeanor. I don't yeah. know what it you know because like it yeah. just set him off. He did not like it. And he yeah, was like, being you're told not, you're yeah. not doing this to me. Yeah, yeah, and actually the reason I did I did hold conditioning too is because I well I don't know how to say I ruined a lab, but one of my first labs I trained, I just tried to do force fetch. I mean, like I said, I was, you know, 17, 18 years old learning from videos and books. So I'd know I didn't do it right. I mean, I know yeah. I didn't. And so after that though, I was like, I'm gonna find a different way just so I don't have to deal with fixing this again. Like I just didn't really like it. Uh put a lot of pressure on the dog, put a lot of pressure on me as a trainer, especially with your first few dogs. And I was like, I don't want to pay someone to do it. So I just looked up hold conditioning and there's this book called The Wild Rose Way. It's Orvis book for training labs. They do Brit labs, which those are pretty cool dogs. They're smaller. I like those actually a lot too. Um, but I learned a lot from that book as far as can operant conditioning basically and you know, creating that type of stuff with the dog. And I feel like I've had pretty decent success. I mean, good enough success to test her and she's fun to hunt with. I mean, I I don't Yeah, I've been I've been looking into uh, there's a couple things. The the Upland Institute talks about training. It's it's a video series, it kind of goes through first steps uh, of training a pointer um i think that's something that i'll probably end up doing just because it's my first dog i want to know it. it's like i don't know three or 350 400 bucks but it wow. goes all the way it goes all the way through and i'm not worried about the puppy phase it's more about the right. world training the force fetch and kind of going through all that so it's yeah. something i might do to um kind of understand a little bit better yeah so um, I, I haven't heard dog. of that but I'm looking at like, I mean, one of the first people they have that has a review on it's Bob Ferris, who's the guy that pretty much started poodle pointers in the U S um, and he wrote a book, how to train and breed versatile hunting dogs. And it's actually pretty informative, but he was a NAVDA judge forever. I mean, I think he was one uh -huh. of the first early members of NAVDA, but him and this guy named Bodo Winterhelt, who's a, he was actually a Nazi youth that was injured and rescued by Austrians. Uh, and he imported poodle pointers it's an interesting story i mean it's those two guys basically that brought them over from germany and started this breed here and kept it very small uh, i think there's only been less than like seven thousand poodle pointers ever bred in the united states since the 60s or 50s i mean that's jumped like 2000 in the last year or two because yeah. they've just blown up in proper popularity i think lady was number like four thousand santo is seven thousand something yeah Jeez. so that's three years and that's been that exponential of a growth so i think we'll probably see a lot more poodle pointers come out but bob was kind of the the godfather of it so he if he even endorses that i would think that's probably a good book i kind of want to look at it now because i'm always looking you know and that's one thing i think about training some of the old school trainers or some even young trainers think it's set in their way almost you know like oh this is the way you do it so i've yep. done it for 30 years it's like well uh we have a lot more ways to do things now i mean 30 years ago they didn't have the e-collars and gps systems we have now so like how can yep. we train differently now that we have access to these things that are great to use i mean they're great training tools uh and so i think that takes a lot out of it and makes it almost easier for us but it does like it does complicate things and so uh no and and with your poodle pointer it's a lot of natural stuff that's i guess that would be the thing that i trained differently than i trained my lab um i didn't train my lab to do a lot of natural retrieving stuff and a lot of just hunting where my poodle pointer you know i say squirrel they're out the front door at the park 200 yards away tree and squirrels so i use like the stuff that's around my house or daily things pigeons coops things like that to to really reinforce all that training to where it's more of a natural occurrence instead of just like let's sit in a hallway and throw something down it 20 times until you know what retrieve is let's stay here with a rope and pull you back constantly until you are completely defined with that it's more of letting them explore and figure out i'm not catching that bird unless he shoots it dude you know like that's the easiest way to train a dog they never catch one 
and they steady up pretty quick. Now, will they be steady after shot? Probably not because they want to kill it. Um, but you can work that into it if you really want to pressure that and fix yeah. that. So I like them. They, and you'll, if you've never had a poodle pointer, you'll definitely like it. I haven't had to. I've had, if you hunt and you work it enough, I've never had someone that walks their dog at least once a day or, you know, works at some that's like, oh, man, they're just too much. And you know, if you give it a little walk a day, it's way easier to take care of. It's no, actually, uh, I travel for work. So my plan is to, uh, I was telling Tyler this the other day, we'll see how well it works. But when I go on, on the job and I'm going away is to bring it with me in my car. Um, you know, get out, train it for five, 10 minutes, throw some dummies, uh, do some recall, whatever, whatever phase we're on. Yeah. Um, hop back in the car, go to meetings and then lunch break, you know, get out for 30 minutes, let it run through a park, uh, do yeah. some stuff, hop back in the car, start driving again. That's kind of my plan right now is just to make sure that I get enough exercise and, and training uh, two to three times a day. Yeah. And, you know, during the hunting season, hunting times will train it. And I mean, off season, like right now, there's probably two or three days a week where I just do like a little walk and like I have this park that I've run them around. So it's a couple miles, but it's never like, you know, when I first got lady, I was taking her out to a field, dragging birds, planting birds every day for like months, like constantly making sure I was training her up. And I realized that you don't have to do it that often. I kind of hyped myself up too much with it. Um, but that just goes into like using what's around you to train. I think, you know, if you can naturally find squirrels or naturally do a bird drag on your normal walk, makes it way easier. If, you know, you walk one dog yep. before them and do a back throw of a pheasant bumper and something. And when you send the other dog, when you're walking and it finds it, well, then that's just working on some scent work right there. And it was just two walks yep. technically. So I've learned to do a lot of like circular training, which that wild rose book taught, you know, you kind of do more than one thing on a walk. It's not like we're going to do this training thing. It's just like you train in a circle. So you kind of do a lot of different skills and work like that. And if you're going to test the dog, you know, you, you're not supposed to train for the test is what all, you know, a good hunting dog will just test itself type attitude, but you can train for the test. It's not hard to train for the test. If you really want to kind of figure that out, there's certain things that they like to see the duck search. Uh, you know, you have to have a dog that will go on a search just after a blanks fired on a send and search for 10 minutes. And that's the utility test, but like the biggest part of the utility test. So it's got to, range out 100 yards swim search the bank everything for 10 minutes at least uh and oh, then you, you can't if you can't if they don't do it 10 minutes you don't get a three on that and so you can't get a prior perfect prize and so if you have to recast them each recast is at a point off you can't use like any type of signals once they're out there you can't whistle them and, and back them you can't do anything hmm. it's, they go they're out there they find the duck they bring it back then you have to resend them and they have to show the judges that they're willing to go back out and search for a certain amount of time yeah, it's that's, so when that's they, on that utility. So they actually, when they shoot, they actually have a duck out there. So what will happen is a guy will kayak a duck out, hide okay. it, you know, 20, 30 yards somewhere along the bank up there. And then you come up with a pop gun, shoot, yeah. and then just send your dog and you sit and watch. Don't say a word. You whistle her back, it's minus a point. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. So my f second, that's the first test. Lady punctured her foot, had to go all the way through her foot on the initial send, came back. And I had a backup plan because I was just, I always have backup plans. I'm nervous. So I had a rock in my pocket. If she were to come back or if she needed to go search for another minute, I just throw the rock. It splashes. That's how I cued her to go uh, without, you know, any command. It was just that splash. And you, can, you can do that that's without. Not, no, that's no, not you get, oh, no. It really pissed the judges off. The <laughs> judge got so pissed. Like, why'd you do that? I was like, well, because my dog went back. And I was like, and I think she's hurt. Because I, so 
at the end of the test, I send her, she comes back immediately, which I was never nervous about her initial send. She would always go and find it and come back. It was like the second or third send I had to send her that sometimes she'd go like 80 yards and veer off or she would just kind of pussy around or mess around, you know, cuss, but she'd mess around. And so I had rocks to kind of redirect her if I started noticing her veer off. So that was like plan B or C. Well, plan A was initial send. She should go. She hurt herself and I asked the judges, I was like, hey, I think she's hurt. I don't know what to do. They're like, well, you need to get your dog to hunt. So I was like, all right chunk the rock recenter and she searched for like seven and a half minutes and then came back and she was like laying on the ground i was like i can't i mean she's not going again she's hurt so i had to carry her off the line and they gave me a no prize on that duck search because uh when i threw the rock i mean the judge got like offended <laughs> i did that like she was so pissed like like what did you just try to trick us and i was like well no that's just how i cure to go i mean like i, I didn't teach Did her a you just try to trick us <laughs> i didn't teach her a back command so i never taught her casting before that because i didn't want her to pop during that you know i didn't want her relying on me the director where the bird's at because they can't so that's one reason i has like i waited till after those tests to ever teach lady directions or casting uh for duck hunting down here so she knows that now now i can just say dead and send her and she'll go but then i didn't have any of that because i never wanted her to pop so i just relied on like that natural cross search find it and so the preparing for that test, you know, you'd wake up every morning at sunrise, go plant four ducks around a pond and send her four times till she found each duck. And so she got used to doing that type of stuff. But, you know, it's it's hard without any type of shot, any type of whistle, just back or, you know, lady just goes on her name or dead. And so it was uh, it was interesting. And then the second time I did it, my wife showed up during the duck search. She was probably 200 yards up shore. Then he goes like 30 yards out, sees her and he runs to her. And I was <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have to, I didn't, so by this point I taught her, I, I did a whole duck season with her. I was like, I got to at least teach you back. And so she at least knew back. So she came back to me and I was just looking and I was like, I don't know what to do. It was less than a minute. The judge was like, Scott, the dog is doing nothing for you right there. I was like, I'm not throwing in a rock. I know better than that at this point. <laughs> so I just say dead don't and send her. And she went and did the whole search and actually was about to come back and came back through the water and it had like a Creek that fed into it. And the duck was on our side of the Creek. So she ran that whole bank, she went probably a hundred yards this way. And it was coming back around. I was like, she's coming back before time. She's not going to have the duck. She's not going to prize. And that duck was right there along the bank on my side, 30 yards from me to my right. And I was just like, God, take it. And she brought it, delivered to hand. And that was the end of it. So I at least got a, I think I got like a two out of three on that because I had to resend her. So she got, that's why she got a prize two on her test. So <laughs> duck searches, the duck searches where a lot of people get hiccups on for uh, the utility test. I would say that was probably the hardest thing I did. And then it's like a duck drag. You have to drag a duck 150 yards. The dog goes out of sight, has to bring it back to you with no commands. That's the, that's the hardest part is you always have to send your dog. They have to go and bring it back without a hear, without a hold, without a whistle. It's just fetch, go get it, bring it back, sit here, deliver it to hand. I can say, leave it when you're here. That's it. Yeah. That's what I like about the, the program that I use that that's how they teach the retrieve is you send it and it you, you don't eat like right away when it, you're getting used to it right you'll give it yeah. a whistle or a hear command but like lola my youngest one i could send her on i don't know however far she can go and once she finds that bird i don't have to give her a whistle at all she'll pick it up and bring yeah. it back which no, is, it's nice for that but i didn't know that that was part of the test that you couldn't yeah, you can't say here. Can't whistle. You can't even say. So there, there were trainers that were teaching their dog to recall on good dog. So the dog would get the duck, and they'd say, "Good dog," you know, like, "Oh, good pup." And the <laughs> they're tricking the judge. Yeah, and so like they, they, uh, they, you can't even say that anymore without getting points taken off. And so they're very. Jeez. Wow. Uh, 
yeah it's and i've had great experience with judges some of them were some not so much um it's probably been like 90 10 percent. 90 percent were great 10 percent like ah, i could probably never talk to you again and be fine um but they kind of have those <laughs> weird and, and that's what you know the difference of hunting and, and testing which i think testing definitely has its part like that's why i went and did it so i had a a standard that was technically higher than any of the breed clubs that do poodle pointers so there's like two main breed clubs and i didn't really want to join one because I'm not trying to be a breeder. I just wanted to have a really good litter and have people I know get dogs out of it and then continue her line is really why I did it. So I was like, well, I'm just gonna look at their standards and make them better for a female. So they don't require their females to get utility tested. So that test, they don't even have to do. So lady was breedable at five months old. It could, you know, for their all intensive purposes. And so I did that test Jesus, just to kind of, young. well, she passed the test at five months. So they had to have the NA pass. Oh, I got you. And so I got as soon you. as they get that pass you. as a female there, you can breed them technically. They, I don't think anyone breeds them that young, um, yeah. but no. So she had that done. And so I just did it more so one, cause I was, I'm new to this. So I just kind of wanted to, uh, and two, just so people were like, well, you're like a backyard. We was like, well, at least I have standards that were, you know, a little bit higher. I got her whole hip test, all of her hip test, her DNA tested, make sure she didn't have any genetic stuff. So I kind of went above and beyond just so I didn't have to worry about it. And I think that's the you know right way to do it to an extent, you know, especially if you're oh, yeah. a first time person. For sure. What, uh, how'd you pick her, uh, her line? So it was, I mean, I barely knew anything about poodle pointers when I first got into them. And so you try to get one and you usually email Bob Ferris as the main guy or one of the breed alliances, you email everyone on that list. And Bob's like, Oh, I'm at like a year wait list. You know, I don't have anything. Good luck. You can send me this application. I'll put you on a list. And then I called a bunch of other ones. Well, then I just got to the NAVDA website and just started searching every breed announcement for poodle pointers that was registered and would call every single one of those people. And I would send Bob uh, the breedings. He'd be like, Hey, what do you think about this one? What do you think about these? Cause he had a breed mate. He knew the genetics and lines, stuff like that. And he would just basically, I sent him like six and he was like, dude, stop. These are all terrible. I don't know where you're finding who's breeding these dogs. Um, I have these two breedings coming up. You'll you're like 10th on the list. If you're lucky, it's like, sweet. Uh, well, my lady's mom had 10 puppies. And so I got the last puppy out of her mom and it was kind of, I lucked into her line. So her dad's an import from the Czech Republic. And then nice. her mom's a line bred dog that comes off of Bob's main male that he put on his lines for his cedar woods. And so it's got a really big kink in the lines from the import who comes from this guy named Heary, who's been importing poodle pointers here for a while and has like a pretty good name in the upland world. And then her dad's like from like one of the oldest lines in America. And her mom was also utility tested, um, which isn't super common. I guess I've kind of found out. So I was lucky to kind of get her. And uh, actually one of her puppies lives with uh, her mom's next door neighbor. So like the dog I got lady from, he owns two poodle pointers, lady's mom and her sister. His neighbor bought one of lady's puppies. So lady's, one of lady's puppies lives with like her grandma and aunt, I guess, technically. Uh, and they're up in Minnesota. Then I have two dogs in Wisconsin, one in New Jersey, and then three of them are here in Texas. So they're Man, kind of awesome. all over puppy wise. And I, my goal is to see all of them before two years. So I kind of see what they're developing into so I can decide what male I want to use for lady next time. Um, to see if I need something with a little more go or if I need to find a bigger or smaller male. I use a pretty small, calm male because that's what I wanted to breed. Um, but like I said, Santa's running through brick walls over here, so I don't know what I'm by. You know, who knows? Yeah, that one screw loose, and yeah, I, he might be that one. That's just like, doop, let's go. Which I think I, I mean, he's he really uh, biddable. Like he's really easy to train. He yeah. wants to please, but the dude just doesn't know how to contain his excitement half the time. I mean, he's a ball of energy. He's fun though. He's a good dog. That sounds like my older one. <laughs> 
So what has been obviously in the Upland game for three, four years now, what's one of your favorite memories since you've started Upland hunting? Sage grouse with my uncle was fun. Uh, Lady's first wild rooster in Kansas was fun because it took me two or three trips. Like it took a while and I was solo. Um, and I kind of learned that myself. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, actually a limit of prairie chickens before like 10 o'clock one morning, two limit, two man limit over lady of prairie chickens, I think was probably the highlight in South Dakota. That was a nuts hunt. Nice. I, don't, I don't know if I ever, I mean, that was, that was her second year, the beginning of her second year. Yeah. That was uh, a ton of fun. I, I took a buddy and we only had her as our only dog up there and we went and did that. So that was. That was probably it actually that that those that limit just because it was a bird i hadn't shot much of you don't see them that often i mean they're nope you know a lot of people like to go chase those and and they're hard hunt like i said i mean like yeah you can see where they're going down or go try to catch up to them but i mean you're going it's like a mile oh, two always. miles every time you're just like oh, and they yeah. have the sentinel birds like they flush so far away you're just like come on guys like can't you get some snow and just bunker down or something yeah they are very good at flushing about 80 yards ahead of you and then flying a mile and a half. Uh, yeah. And then just chasing those down. I, but to have some, some points over Hills where the wind was blowing perfect, you know, they're on the sun side of the morning. Like that was probably one of my, yeah, yeah. we got lucky this last year in South Dakota. We were in a, a spot, the farmer, um, he lets us hunt there, his land every year. And, the spot where you're going to hunt his nephew or stepson or whatever was there. And he's like, here, I got to, I have a spot that I haven't let anybody touch yet. That would, you know, he's like, I've seen birds there, but no, not a lot, but he said we can hunt it. So I'm like, all right. And, uh, we get awesome. in there and we're probably, I don't know, 70 yards into this field. And all of a sudden the covey of, I don't know if they call it covey of Sharpies gets up or not, but, um, yeah, a group, a group, a group of, of them yeah. gets up probably like eight of them and the good thing is this field is like super wide at the beginning but then it goes into a waterway right yeah so they stopped where the waterway like pinches into the big part of the field they landed right there so imagine the waterway coming up and then just opens way up they landed uh -huh. like right here you could you could see them land yeah sort of like all right we gotta we gotta do this different how can we somehow get guys on this right so we had two guys go way out in the field and we just sat there for probably a good five ten minutes to let them walk yeah. around and they came we stood we stood up here and they started way down there and brought that waterway back up and they're actually able to get one themselves and they pushed the cubby right back oh. to us and we were able to get or nick was able to get another one out of that so we Literally. got we got I think lucky it with, i think it hit it with one bb i'm not even joking yeah we like got no lucky the field was the way it was because otherwise I'm, I'm guessing they would have yeah. just kept on going you know they do that i mean and i think i've had the most success because the first covey i ever found i don't know what they're called flock or i forget what they are there's a different name i think for them but the first yeah. one that i found i thought they were hen pheasants so i was you know i'm still nude up one we night. thought they were hungarian <laughs> <laughs> and they were sitting like in, and i've always had the best like when you walk up a hill and it's like you get to the bluff and they're up there like you you walk up on them almost they don't see you until you're right there and that's what i'd walked up and there was hay on top of this it was like a a ledge went up to a hay field and there was hay that had been planted and they were just like sitting right on top of the hay and i'd like walked through all this sawgrass all this tight cover and then like i didn't even fire a shot because i was like oh there's like 15 
hen pheasants were there. I was like, I didn't know what those were. And like <laughs> later on, my buddy was like, oh, have you seen any chickens? I was like, well, I saw like a bunch of pheasants. And he was like, those are chickens, Scott. It's just, I was like, dang it. Uh, but no, funny. that was, that's, they are, they're, they're, I mean, see, that's what's, you know, they're, they have their own challenges, but I think they're more of that kind of like sage grouse you can loom back into you. Once you figure out what the presentation they want of how you walk up to them and you can kind of hide from them, they get a lot easier. You know, you go downwind to where yeah. they can't smell you, they can't see you, you get, you know, you, I mean, I, some of those times when I'm going with those ledges, I'm stuck down walking up them. I mean, I'm not trying to let them see me and you get up to the very end and you kind of black, you know, get right on top of them is what I've done before, but pheasants you can't there's no game to them i'm telling you they're like rats like they just run like they're crazy that's what that's why i think you know you're talking about like what do you like the best i think that's why because there's like you can unless you're walking with droves of people right and just pushing fields like yeah. uh, if you're not doing that then it's you're playing their game you're in their ballpark where i think the other birds i mean you can't figure them out ever completely but you know they don't like wet ground they're going to be on the snow the, the the area that's hitting the wind first on daylight with the daylight hitting it so that's where i would high grade to kind of walk to i'd be having that right as daylight hits i want that to be the side that i'm coming up over so i would look at hills and wind and try to figure out the best areas to, to hunt them that style and i feel like i got better at them i mean i targeted some this year and had luck again uh i still wouldn't say i know how to do them but that's been my goal is to learn south dakota i guess my first three seasons like really feel like i could take people out there like you know i need to go hunt there i can go and do it because it's i don't know it's way better than like bird number wise for kansas or anywhere i've ever been from driving yep. down here and it's about a 15 hour drive oh, I, mean, wow. I did a few of the i mean at one point this year i left work uh early on a friday drove all night stayed in the field 30 minutes hunted saturday morning saturday afternoon slept saturday night and then hunted sunday morning and drove back sunday to get back to work on monday i did that like i think twice three times this year to south wow. dakota Jesus. and once to kansas so it's those are i have to do a lot of those trips to get my hunts in as i have a toddler i have a two and a half year old uh, and then I technically own, I own, I own a drug treatment center for adolescents here in Dallas or Texas. And so I work with a lot of kids and, uh, I'm the, the owner, the single employee, uh, everything that's there. So I kind of have to be responsible for that part of it. So I have to make, I understand the kid I have, uh, I have a coming up, she's going to be three, April 24th. And then we have a 15 month, 15 month old. Oh man, you're right in it. So, and then I'm going to throw another dog on top of it here this fall and I already have a dog. So. My wife is not excited. <laughs> I'm not, no. I'm not, honestly, I'm excited, but I'm not excited either because I know um, she said, well, this is your thing. I'm not helping you at all. So, okay. <laughs> she lady okay. was, yeah, I got that problem. So, a lady was our dog. When I kept one of ladies' puppies, he is my responsibility. Uh, yeah, he's Santo is fully my dog because, yeah, that was that, was that I'm, deal I'm, too. I'm hoping she'll change her mind. So, I've been with my wife seven years now and diesel i had him in a year before he's gonna be eight the diesel really imprinted on me and he's 100 percent my dog like she sometimes can't even tell him anything and then i'll have to say hey uh, dees yeah here and then he'll finally like come to me um so i'm hoping get this new dog it's a puppy she'll fall in love with it a little bit maybe want to help and then oh he's so cute and, you know it'd be a different story than what diesel is but yeah. and then I mean, you're, if it's not, I'm still going to rip open a kennel, bust out one day, tear the leather couch, and she's gonna come home. Oh, lady, 
ripped up some expensive pair of leather shoes Jessica had early on, and I still hear about that. Uh, oh, oh God. Shoes. Uh, you don't, I'll, I mean. I'll uh, be going to the store and buying a new pair before she knows about it. <laughs> yeah, ladies still can't live that one down. And ladies definitely Jessica's pup now that I've, I've had Santa. Ladies have gravitated more towards her. And she's good with lady, but Santa, she's like, he's just a wild animal. Ladies calm. Like, she was like, ladies never was never that nuts. I was like. He's got a lot of drive, babe. You know, he's just high energy. Uh, but she she definitely likes Lady Santo. The jury's still out. The jury's still out on that one. We'll see. It's technically yeah. my son's dog is what I say. So it's Eli's dog. So it's not really mine. So then it's I'm safe. You know, that's so, what I'm going to do. Well, this is the girl's dog. Yeah, it's, it's Eli's <laughs> dog. Eli dog. even knows. Eli's like, yeah, she's Santo's not, mine. I thought her being three, she'd be mature enough to train this thing, but she's not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they can help i get eli to throw bumpers he's two and a half he's helping now he knows how to tell the dogs sit they don't listen to him much though because he just and then he tries to ride them still he's still in that phase where uh yeah. and lady's really yeah, good my, with him on that which i like maya will help train diesel she'll take the dummy out of his mouth um when i'm training him and stuff and then you know usually i'm giving him a back or something and her command is ready set go <laughs> so he doesn't quite know that one yet but uh, uh yeah it is yeah. what it is no, it's funny to, there's definitely a bond with kids and dogs, I think. And so it's fun to watch that. Uh, well, and that's why I, part of me was like, ah, oh, do I just get one that's already started just because of the family? But I, I want them to have the full experience of bonding with the dog as a puppy and growing up with it. And, and I think you, you get a dog that's already started or whatnot, and you don't have the same bond as you do when you bring a puppy home and you're going through all the trials and tribulations and, yeah. you know, all the hard, all the hardships you go through with it. And then you just, eventually when you finally get to the point where it's like oh it's a good dog and everybody loves it even more you know because you went you went through all that stuff yeah and i think you learn a lot about the dog too in that phase because i used to think yes. you know dogs are all going to be kind of similar i expected santa to be similar like but no i mean i think you can breed dogs i mean and that's i did a pretty heavy line breeding off the the male romo or atlas for the texas or the united states poodle pointer for my line so i was like they're going to get a lot of those traits which is what you know i liked in lady and he's just got tons of drive. And so I think, you know, it's just learning that dog. And that's the period you get to learn that. Because then you know how to train them a little bit more. Know what to, to get on to them for if they're starting to creep on this or if they're kind of acting up in this. I think it's more of a I get to know him type phase rather than yep. he gets to, you know, I train, you know, he's training me on how to work with him. Because I do think everyone's, every dog's different. And I've even the more people I've met that train dogs, that's one thing I think I hear consistently out. The people that aren't just, you know, by the book trainers that kind of do more old models or circular trainer different stuff they're like every dog's different every dog is going to require something different respond to pressure a little different respond to your oh, tone yeah. of voice how you stand dogs respond differently like lady listens more when you take a more intimidating stance and you're acting like i'm going to tell you what to do santo you get down on one thing he does everything you want to do as soon as you show him any type of getting down like he just it's just different things like that picking up on i think is what that puppy phase is is yep. really good to do i agree i agree and like yeah, even Tyler, I mean, uh, we have a kind of a group chat with some friends but today. He was even saying how he's been doing the uh, cornerstone gun dog program with his dogs, but wishes he would have got on it a little bit earlier. Yeah, with, that's done um, by uh, Barton Ramsey. Yeah, Barton Ramsey. He does uh, European or Brit Labs oh, too, yeah. Southern Oak. Yeah. Yep. His son or his nephew, Stone Ramsey, has a thing out here that I've gone out and toured before. Yep. Um, but they're similar to wild rose and training models too. I think, I don't think they use collars on any other dogs to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. No, they don't. They're all cold conditioning. And, yeah. You definitely should go. If you are training that style, I would definitely go out and try to train with those guys who train that. Cause 
there are some things behind the book that aren't always written about that you start to pick up on. I mean, they yeah. definitely use pressure. It's just the pressure is from here to the dog. It is yeah. not, it is, is you go to that dog, you pressure there. And I, yeah. I guess I didn't think that happened much. Yeah. The, uh, the program is like, so cornerstone, I mean, they do, they show, they do show that's good. Oh, yeah, they show the pressure. Yeah. Cause I the mean, book it's... I read was didn't really show that. And then I went and tra I started training with those guys, uh, a lot or a decent amount. And I learned, Oh, okay. I mean, this is the piece I was missing. Those, the collars that, you know, that, that tighten up and they'll go just. Full oh yeah. On. Oh yeah. And they're big into pulling ears. I've seen. Yeah. So, which it's not a, you know, everybody's like, Oh, it's just all positive reinforcement. I mean, there's no, it's there's pressure just, and it's just, it's yeah, not e-collar pressure. It's, it's different. Pressure. And, and I think it has, it's, you know, and that's where it goes to like, I think every part of these training models have a spot in yeah. your program you know like if you train dogs like you should kind of pull something from all of them and develop your own to an extent like what works for you what works for the types of dogs you're wanting to produce because at the end of the day too like all those guys that train for the super retriever series 99 percent of hunters do not need a super retriever series dog that's doing 500 yard blinds like no. hardly anyone does you know like guides maybe but like other than that you're not going to need a dog that's just this monster in the field all the time but yeah we all want that sounds good, but that's not necessarily how you can train every dog and expect them just to go home and be a good house dog, I think. So I think training to the owners is probably the most important thing. And then too, learning just different ways. Yeah, you don't you don't want a dog that's driven so much that you can't even get it to calm down, especially if you have kids like we have. You know, you need to come in and have an on off button. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure a lot of those super retrievers don't live in inside the house. Either. No, they're, they're kennel they're dogs. dogs. They get out for, you know, their runs in they the day and work. then they go back in. Yeah, that's yeah. And there's plenty of dog people have raised and trained dogs like that 24 seven. Now, do I think that's a dog that's going to transition directly into a house and be a house dog or a service animal or go anywhere dog? Probably not because they, I mean, that's, they're not trained for that yet. And I think yeah. it's kind of all encompassing training, you know, having the end picture in mind when you start with the dog, I think it's been a pretty big thing that I've learned to do with Santo and lady. It's part of like, you know, not worrying when she moves, runs 500 yards away. So Santo, he goes and I was like, Oh, He'll come back yeah. when he when he's ready. And beforehand, I was like, "Oh man, I got to fix this right now. I got to yeah. pressure." Uh, was, people used to tell me, "Get off your button so much. You know, you don't need to be giving a dog pressure all the time." So I had to learn a lot of that. And I think, uh, I mean, I'm always improving. I hope. Yeah, you learn I mean, as a handler as your dogs. You learn. do. This year we were in South Dakota, and uh, I was man, Diesel was just. We were in a field with load of birds, and all dogs were going crazy, but he. Um, he went ballistic and I could not like, didn't matter what I did. I tried to shock him yelling his name. Actually, by the time we got done, I was hoarse, but I found out I didn't have his collar on. So I was like, wow, I mean, okay. So, I mean, yeah, you know, that's the owner's fault right there. And no wonder I couldn't, uh, you know, get him to call him back. But you know, if I would have gave him a little Nick, I know. And, and actually Tyler saw it after, after hunting that I brought him in, in Iowa. I'm like, look at this. I'm like, I don't even have to shock him anymore because I gave him that one, one Nick right after that. He's like, Oh, I didn't like that. I don't care for that. So now you're, you know, and normally I don't have to do that to him, but we just got in a field that was just loaded with birds and I could not, there was, I mean, he was just, he was gone. <laughs> I think we've all had and that it, moment it, before, you know, in labs and he's, you know, he's going to be eight this year and labs when they get on bird scent, they don't slow up. No, they pick up, they keep going, right. they're charging in, you know, and, I was basically running through the field like, oh, I don't like to get ahead of everybody, but I'm trying to control my dog and he's clearly on something because he doesn't run this hard unless there's <laughs> guaranteed something there. And I, I think there was only like 40 or 50 birds that flushed. 
So there was, yeah. there was a ton Those of Those are birds. fun. Was, I mean, it was that's, nuts. that's why you go to South Dakota. And that's where I think uh, I got Lady on a lot of those flushes early on in South Dakota when she was right out of year. And then after that, I came to Texas and guided some for this preserve. And so she just had tons of bird contacts within her first 16 yep. months. Yep. And I think that helped her a ton. I mean, she's, she's almost probably too steady. She doesn't push enough and she loses some now, I think. And that's my training spot, but she'll, she knows how to, I mean, she, she's still good. And I think, you know, they, tra- they changed their style of hunting. Cause it used to be, she would, you know, dart through a field and just work it quick as can be now she's a lot more methodical she slowed down her pace she kind of understands more of the game i think and she doesn't rely necessarily on just outrunning them all she's kind of like well i know this scent that dog that bird's gonna run i'm gonna have to pin it from this far if it's sharp tail scent she knows she has to stand off a little bit on it if it's chicken scent she better know she better not be moving i think she kind of has to figure that part out to an extent it's crazy how dogs just learn right i mean they just they just figure things out on their own without that you train them and like oh yeah i understand this sound i understand this sound i under get this it's like it's so wild yeah yeah no and i i i've trained like you know because with the nabda stuff you're not supposed to use words and things so i've trained how to run lady without using any words in a field too so i can send her with the release like go find it and then she's recalls on tone so i just tone her and she'll come back to me and then if she gets on a bird and i think she's probably moving too fast and i need her to slow down because i'm with the guys that are going too slower i can't catch her i can vibrate her and she naturally slows down her pace That's a good idea and so i kind of did that just because i don't like yelling at her in the field lady here you know like the birds um, I, don't, I don't know yeah. it's just not a fun experience and you know, it sucks when the dog goes out of control you're just like damn it do i really have to do this right now yeah. especially in front of other people it's like oh, oh, it's, God. oh it, yeah it's, oh we know all about then you that. feel like a jackass <laughs> and it's not it's not hard but i mean yeah it's happened a couple times with diesel yes. or maybe even time uh, dogs a time yeah. or two but we have uh we have my uh, my basically my brother-in-law he gets a fucking dog out and it's in it's my sister it was my sister's first before they met he's 11 or 12 and it's a gordon setter man that damn dog does not listen and i keep telling him like dude you need to just retire this dog yeah well he likes getting out and run i'm like yeah but that's all he does is run he doesn't know anything else just runs uh, and birds are flying up and he just keeps running he yelled his name year, a thousand times uh, yeah and yeah. The one year he okay. actually okay. he actually um said you guys just stand here i'm gonna walk through and try to get him literally tackled the dog in the field finally <laughs> and then tied uh, this is this is no joke tied hooked him up to a leash and then draped it around his belt and then if he would have never actually had that dog around his belt he would have never been a coyote literally ran out in front of him and he shot it and he's like we also we shot the dog yeah he's like oh man luckily i had that dog on the leash around my belt because i just shot this coyote that was like 10 feet from me otherwise i'd never been able to shoot it and i was like jesus lady uh that's what's weird about versatile dogs i think than even just bird dogs is she's uh she does a lazy point so she's gotten, she hasn't gotten porcupined. She's found two of them and I pulled her off of them, but like it was almost, and she's gotten skunked before, but then she's also like lazy pointed coyotes. We were in a field solo with South or not South Kansas last year. And she kind of gets like this nervous point. Like her tail doesn't go up. She's kind of like, mm, I'm going to stand here. I'm not moving. So I keep walking up. Cause I'm like, Oh, maybe it's a point. Three coyotes just stand up like 20 yards in front of us. I'm like, Oh gosh. I started yelling like a madman because I didn't want to shoot one and like them come after. I don't know what they were going to do. So I started yelling and ran at him and they ran off and she didn't do anything, but it's yeah and then that's where having steadiness helps a lot because if you're right like if a dog breaks after that and you actually that's like my worst fear is doing yeah. something to a dog because yeah 
uh, that would be terrible. But no, she's pointed coyotes. She's tracked porcupines, skunks, hogs. She, my ducklies used to be off the Trinity River here in Dallas, and it was a lot of flooded water. And she used to, she bait up a hog at one point, like got a hold of a little one. So she thinks she's a hog dog every once in a while when she gets on <laughs> scent of those. And she's had some like boars in between her and water. And like, I'm like, lady, oh, I can't man. shoot these things. Like if I have a shotgun. You... Like... So I don't like, I don't have any real proof other than hunting with a poodle pointer twice. Um, but I, I told Tyler, as I said, a thing, and it came from, uh, like I said, Jeff House, who I told you about. Um, and that's how I got into it into getting a, 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 a pup from him. But I noticed like, so Diesel's just a, a lot. I mean, I didn't have, he wasn't from any like sort of breeding or anything like that. I just got him eight years ago and yeah. turned out to be a great, great hunter for me. Great dog. Wouldn't trade him for the world. Love right. the guy. But have you noticed between like a lab and a poodle pointer, the differences in maybe their nose? Cause that was a thing that I felt like I noticed. I mean, obviously running the poodle pointer can outrun the lab and things of that nature, but I thought this guy's poodle this his poodle pointer had a nose on him and i didn't know if i was just from the breeding or maybe diesel's nose isn't as good as i thought it was no that's genetic i think that's that pointer coming out in them uh, i mean because yeah. you think pointers it was with their like, nose they point they, they're sending those birds from far off and it depends on the lines that you're getting too. how far like, back the nuts. pointer is so i like breeding with pointers that are still kind of not too far back genetically which won't happen again in the United States. Like if you have an old pointer line right now, they will not reintroduce pointers back here because they think our line is good enough. But Bodo, one of the original guys used to do it. Then he got nav does like blessing to do it on some breedings. Like he could register them with breeding to a pointer, which you, no one can do now. Like no one will try to do it, I assume. But so he, there's this other old pointer called DeMarc's gift. That's in some of the, the poodle pointers now that are around. And it's not that far back on lineage or lines, the genetics. And so a lot of people are, are trading, like saying that that's where the good noses kind of come from, or they're standing off point more than that. And then, you know, you look at like the poodle dog, the puddle dog, it was a water dog. So they're naturally half water, half upland. And it's gotten kind of con convoluted, I think, but I think there are people that have kept some really good uh, lines that run really far. And then ones that also like are really good in the water. It depends on you know, the actual line you're getting it from. Cause I've seen some that don't range like much at all. Uh, they're really close yeah. ranging. You know, they don't get out more than 50 yards even on like lots of stuff. Uh, yeah, and I, I said this on uh, like uh, one of our previous podcasts, like diesel and this poodle pointer were hunt hunting the other. Now diesel tracked the birds a lot better. Uh, we had a couple birds that went down. Poodle pointer could find them. Diesel comes right out with them. And the dog yeah. was like tracking them, tracking them. Seemed like he was a little bit lost and it was a young dog. It's like a year and I don't know, it was maybe like 14, 15 months old. Yeah. Um, and Diesel would come out of them. Obviously, he has experience in that. But when we were hunting, Diesel actually points now. I don't train it in him. You call it flashpoint, whatever you want to call it. I don't right. care. He, yeah. He'll lock up, he'll point. Tyler's seen it. Um, he locked up one time, and this is where I see like the the difference is big. That bird was actually moving, but he locked up because he was in the scent cone, right? Uh -huh. and then his dog came by and he didn't stop and then went by him and went around and circled and then pointed like 30 yards above him and then diesel would keep going like forward because uh -huh. i don't have a i don't have a command form to woe or anything kept going forward and then finally yeah. when he got to this dog's point there they were ah. and i was like oh so the poodle point like, almost pushed this. it even farther which he so did they... but then it was like his nose he knew that what diesel was in the scent cone was a, a, a previous scent cone like so i was impressed with like i thought that the dog knew that he was wrong um and i was like oh that's interesting 
they didn't honor him at least because they'll even honor. I mean, no, Santo, yeah, even, Santo naturally honored. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and that's one thing you'll notice too, when you're training this dog, you'll know, you'll watch his nose go up and down. So they'll be tracking like lady will, and she has a command for track. So she'll track, I could say track, uh, and she'll put her nose to the ground and go on the trail that I tell her. For instance, I mean, I, I did it with birds to start, but I had a turtle one time and I live kind of near a creek that walked up to my front yard, like in my flower bed. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It was big, like big size one. So I was like, I'm show my wife that. So I sit in the flower bed and I walk inside and I go get my wife. We'll come back like 30 minutes later. Turtle's gone. I was like, dang it. That thing hauled butt. And it was like, it had some room to go. So I took lady to where I'd set it down. I just told her track and she went found the turtle sat right next to it and just waited for me to get it so she knows whenever i say track nose on the ground i need to be smelling bull and then wild when she's hunting you'll see her nose go on the ground she'll start tracking then all of a sudden her nose will like do this above the bushes and she's trying to get that scent cone again and see where she's pushing it towards or what it's doing and so they switch diesel does a lot of that uh, scent coning he does a lot of the the older he gets Mm -hmm. the more he's they get smarter yeah i think they know like oh i can i can do this and you know i think uh, I don't know. I've noticed their noses are pretty good. I had the labs I had were like backyard breeder labs. I mean, they were from like Canton, which is like the largest flea market in the state of Texas. It's literally called like Puppy Alley. That's where I got my labs back in the day. I had to like I mean, teach them to retrieve. There was no natural retrieving ability where like Lady as a puppy was picking up boxes, bringing them to me, like literally just waiting, like wanting balls thrown, everything thrown over the lab. Like I used to have to throw it, run after it, pick it up and hope it would pick it up like early on is how I taught my one of my first labs to fetch because it wouldn't do anything. It was look at you like. I ain't touching that uh, for any bird, ball, anything. And so I had to like start really basic with getting their drive established. And Lady kind of did that for me. Like she was like, no, let's go do this. Let's do this. And Santo's the same way. Like he naturally picks up stuff. If he's going outside, he always tries to bring me a bumper or something before he goes outside and sits and presents it. It's like, okay, I did my job. Let me go. Like it's, it's a lot more natural. And I think that's the genetics compared to the backyard type I had, uh, when I was younger and, and I didn't yeah, really ever pay what attention I'm curious to see. Cause actually I think, yeah. I mean, diesel to date is the best and he's my third lab. Um, he's best dog I've ever had. And I wouldn't say that he's no, I would not say he's the greatest dog in the world. I wouldn't say he's the best hunter in the world, but he gets done what I want. He retrieves, he finds birds. I get birds every year and he does what I want. So, um, he's been a good dog, but I'm curious, like the bloodlines just to like, all right. So Jeff house has been doing this for years now too. So like to see his lineage and in that what's that going to pull out in this dog that i haven't seen from diesel yeah. who's just these people just making money off of breeding dogs right right yeah and that's a big difference in the poodle pointer stuff is a lot of the dogs have been tested that are along these lines so none of them have really just gone there's only a couple puppy mill type breeders of poodle pointers there's one in colorado one in hawaii randomly that breeds untested but if you breed untested dogs in that world you kind of get uh put through the ringer because they're pretty strict about it to an extent for that. So, I mean, it's kept it to where there's not a ton of, uh, just willy nilly breedings out there, which I think helps the breed overall at the end of the day. Yep. Cause yep. at least they're having to do a test. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not like trusting some random dude who says, Oh yeah, it's a good hunting dog. Trust me. Uh, it's like, well, no, we've at least tested it. It's at least on these lines. And that doesn't mean it's end all be all. I don't think it is. I think there's no. always, you know, phenomenal dogs that were never a- tested that have never even seen a testing field because for instance, the dog I bred lady to, he didn't test until he was like four because he's owned by a farmer that lives in the Panhandle, Texas. I did nothing about NAVDA testing, but, uh, he had another guy who was a breeder and myself tell him like, dude, please get that dog tested so I could bring lady, breed lady to it. Cause I love how it hunts. And so that's why he went and tested it just so he could be like, well, I did the test, but it wasn't, you know, something he trained for at the beginning. 
And so I don't think that happens very often. I think a lot of those dogs just get kind of lost. Their genetics get lost to an extent. And so uh, I think I was lucky to kind of find him to breed to. And then, like I said, I got lucky on Lady's Litter. Her genetics are phenomenal. Uh, and I didn't realize it till I got it. But a lot of people don't like saying imports are super good dogs because then it makes our breeding programs not look as strong. Um, but Zar, her father, like if you look at his uh, prodigy report and like what he's produced, it's phenomenal animals. I mean, testing wise, I've hunted with a few of them wise. Like I've met a lot of them. They're all great dogs. And their dad's from the Czech Republic. And he was trained. He was trained here, but bred in Czech. So. Well, Scott, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. A lot of info. A lot of Very info. Good. Thank you. Good. Yeah. Now one. we'll have to get a hunt together. So you are in Iowa? Yeah. Iowa. Is there much so hunting just, up there? You know, one, of the, one of those quick weekends you got, you know, just come up on a Friday, get an hour. <laughs> well, sleep. I have, so I have guys that, like I said, in Minneapolis that do a camp. And then I have guys in Wisconsin that have a camp that they do grouse camp every year. So I'm going to try to make it up to the Wisconsin grouse camp. We'll have to drive through Iowa at some point. There's some uh, good hunting here. I've heard that. Maybe. I've heard that it's a hidden secret. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, kind of like, secret, it's kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, it's kind of, oh, I'm not going to say any other states, but there's a lot of states. <laughs> like, I, I mean, and at the end of the day, I've found birds where no one said they would like, it's just spots, you know, like you especially now with Onyx having the, the layer oh, system yeah. that tells you what foods right next to it. I love watching sunflower. I love hunting sunflowers. I know that's not like a prob, like a popular opinion, but I find sunflowers in a Kansas field, I would almost bet some serious money I'm going to find push a bird out of that field right next to it so i just you know high grade and you could do it almost in any state like i mean i only hunt public land for the most part really i don't do a lot of private land hunting so all the birds that i've harvested have been on public land nice yeah the only nice. private land i was done was at griffin hound that was you know i was technically working not really hunting <laughs> yeah so. awesome but yeah all right yeah we'll hit up a hunt let us know when you're coming through and uh, we'll stay in contact I'll, I'll shoot you my uh number so we can hook up on on x and whatnot and sounds good uh, go from there so yeah thanks again we definitely appreciated awesome. it thanks yeah. scott have a great have a good one i'll talk to you later yeah, so, yeah. yeah.